spent a good part of my childhood here in the South and went to college in the South. But for a New Englander, like my husband, the South is full of surprises. Before he moved down leading up to our marriage, Robert had rarely visited the South, let alone lived here. So it was funny to me to see the things that surprised him. For the first month of living in Florida, for example, I think he ate Chick-fil-A at least once a day, which is both awe-inspiring and kind of appalling when you think about it. And it, it wasn't, that wasn't the only food, though, that uh, he fell in love with. He was at first shocked and then thrilled by Southern cuisine in all its buttery, deep-fried glory. And that's not even to mention things like shrimp and grits. Food wasn't the only surprise, though. As some of you may know, New England is much more secular than the South. And Robert was continually surprised by how open people are about their faith here, that it's part of everyday life and language for most people in the South. Things that seemed normal to me, although nice, like, oh, I saw a Bible verse on the back of a van the other day. Um, that, that really surprised him. And even things that almost seemed tacky to me, like those big Judgment Day bullets, bull, uh, billboards, those just delighted him because it was so openly about faith. And even the small things here about how we highlight faith, how we talk about it every day, he wasn't used to. For example, we use the word bless a lot. And I don't just mean bless your heart, although Robert did confide in me that for like the first four months, he really thought that was a compliment. But I don't just mean that. We also use it in everyday language, saying things like, oh, I feel so blessed because X, Y, and Z has happened. Have you ever noticed how much we use that word? You know, I was, uh, <laughs> I was talking to an agnostic friend a few months ago, and he was talking about things going well in his life, and he said, you know, we just feel so blessed. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, you feel blessed, huh? And who do you think is doing that blessing? Now, it's funny, though, because that does show that we use the word so much that sometimes we begin to lose sight of what it means. In our Bible verses for today, it talks a lot about blessed and blessing. And then it also talks about the opposite, cursed or woe. They're littered throughout our readings today. And unlike my agnostic friend, the writers of these words don't use these words casually or for a synonym for lucky here. Blessed in both our readings, Old Testament and New, indicates the direct approbation of God, his approval and even active voluntary blessing of that person. And despite the difference in the context of those passages, despite the differences in their audiences, their dates, their historical circumstances, the nature of this blessing here, this blessing from God, the nature of what it is to be truly blessed is consistent between these two passages. And if we look at it, it reveals to us an important truth about God and about the life of faith. 
You see, if I were to ask you, without looking at these passages, to tell me what made someone blessed, or better yet, if I were to track how you'd used it in the last week before I drew your attention to it, I imagine that you used that word in circumstances um, like those that my agnostic friend was talking about. Maybe you would talk about being blessed when you got a promotion, or your whole family was in good health, or maybe when you were financially stable, or better yet, doing really well. But basically, you'd use it whenever life seemed like it was going pretty smoothly, going pretty well. And now, obviously, there are exceptions to that. We all know people, or we may have even ourselves, at times, even in the hard times, been very intentional to count our blessings, and that's a good thing. But by and large, we use that word when we're talking about things going well. But our readings from today, they turn that idea on its head. Most obviously, Jesus talks about people in all the circumstances which we would think of as the most blessed as being the opposite. It's where he uses the woes. And the places where we would think of people being the least blessed in that sense, well, that's where he talks about them being blessed. And by the way, woe is not a common word nowadays. So just to check myself, make sure I understood it, I double-checked a dictionary, and it says things like grievous distress and affliction. It's a strong word. According to Jesus, people who actually receive God's approval are those who are hungry, poor, weeping, and hated. On the other hand, those who are in that grievous distress are those who are rich, full, laughing, and well-liked. They are the ones who are actually afflicted and in deep trouble. It's completely the opposite of how we see life usually. Why does Jesus make these declarations? Why are the hard circumstances in life blessings in his eyes and the one that ones we would think of as blessings cause for concern? What is it that really makes people blessed? We get a clue from our other reading for today, the reading from the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord, and he pronounces a similar set of blessings and curses. And in fact, he does use the word curse here as the opposite. According to Jeremiah, people who trust in the Lord are blessed. And people who trust in other people, and it's implied in their own instincts and desires, are the ones who are cursed. Now that sounds pretty straightforward and pious and kind of a given. Yeah, 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 trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Yeah, 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 I got it. It's, I mean, it's almost trite. It's almost like something you would find uh, in a Lifeway bookstore, maybe on some upcycled barnwood gather, bless this mess, trust in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that, but it lacks the full meaning here. So to help us flesh it out a little, if we look at Jeremiah in context, it gives it a bit more richness. You see, Jeremiah was prophesying to a people who had been rescued time and again by God, but they still kept looking to their powerful political neighbors help. So when he says, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, he is not just saying that people should trust God to give them a good parking space or to make their appointment on time or even for the big things in life like finding a spouse, recovering from illness, and so on. 
he is talking about trusting God with the fate of their nation, with the survival of their families and neighbors, with the entire future of their world, if you will. The trust he's calling them to is a bone-deep trust in that, that forms the foundation of how they understand and interact with the world, with everything from personal life to geopolitical circumstances. This is a much bigger trust. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. The people he is prophesying to are cursed because by trusting in mere humans, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, whoever, they have set themselves up for never fulfill, fully experiencing security, for a life of fear, for constant scrambling to make sure they keep all the right people appeased. Basically, they are trying to control things that really are far outside of their ability to control. And no matter what their circumstances actually are, they're already cursed because they've missed the eternal point. Forget even acting wisely. They cannot understand the world accurately because they do not understand who is actually in control. Meanwhile, the people who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, as Jeremiah so poignantly puts it, they have the opposite experience. No matter their circumstances, they have security. They have psychological and spiritual nourishment in their constant life-giving relationship with God. Not only do they survive, but they thrive. They produce fruit, not from their own efforts to control and to make things happen how they think they should, but through the work of God in their life, bringing things to bear in his own timing. It is a life of security and spiritual abundance, even in the midst of dreadfully hard times, scary times like droughts. The Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, closes this reading by noting that the heart, too, is untrustworthy. And let me just, as an aside here, note that this goes completely against what our culture teaches us. How many movies have you seen where the message of the movie can be boiled to, down to, Follow your heart. Hear me when I say, that is a bad idea. And if you don't want to hear me say that, listen to Jeremiah who says, the heart is devious. Above all else, it is perverse. We always have to hold our instincts and desires up to God's will and to see if they align. Anyway, back to the text. Off my soapbox. The point is, people who trust in any human, including themselves, are dreadfully misguided. They are destined for ruin. It is only those who trust in God, only those who put their faith in the Lord, who can see clearly and act sovereignly, unlike any human. It is only those who trust in him who are blessed. Which brings us back to Jesus' list. When you look at all those who are blessed in this list, the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the hated, they are all people who are forced to face their own lack of ability to fix their circumstances, to control their lives. 
It is these people who most clearly see that they utterly depend on God. They know they cannot do it in their own strength, and so they trust in the Lord. Meanwhile, the woes list are people who are far more likely to have a sense of sufficiency in and of themselves. They are rich, so money can handle whatever comes. They are full, so they don't have to worry about survival. They are laughing, so they don't have to grapple with the changing, tumultuous, emotional circumstances of life. And they feel well-liked, so they don't have to worry about who they're going to depend on because they have so many friends. These circumstances are not evils in and of themselves. We see people throughout the Gospels who Jesus interacts with who fit into these categories. Zacchaeus was rich, but Jesus chose to intentionally engage with him. Many people were full. In fact, Jesus miraculously fed people to fullness himself multiple times. And then there were plenty of people who were laughing. I mean, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding celebration. Pretty sure it was not a mournful situation. And finally, Jesus himself was often well-liked by large crowds of people who came to him to be healed, just like in our Gospels. So the truth is, the truth is we all fit into these categories at one time or another, both the woes and the blessings, whether literally or figuratively. And it's not that the circumstances of the woes are evil, but that they are dangerous. They dull our awareness of our need for God and therefore can subtly push us to trusting humans, including ourselves, instead of trusting in God. So when we are in the woes, if you will, we have to be on guard against this tendency. Next time you are tempted to comment on how blessed you are, I want you to reconsider why. You may be rich or not, you may be full or not. You may be filled with joy or in the throes of complete anguish of the soul. You may be surrounded by people who love you or you may be utterly alone. None of that constitutes blessing on its own. The things that we are taught to think of as making up a good life are neither here nor there in the light of eternity. You're not cursed if you're struggling, nor are you blessed if you're not. In fact, the so-called good life can itself be a curse if you allow it to mute your need for God. The only a truly good life is the one that leans on God, the one whose trust is the Lord for the small things and the big. And here's the thing. As Jeremiah so beautifully describes, that life, even in the midst of hardship, is blessed. Like a tree firmly planted in good soil and fed by a flowing stream, that life is one that bears fruit, and not just the passing fruit of good grades, comfort, or fun times, but the enduring fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a life that is nourished by the Spirit of God and flourishes in the love of God and stands firm with no fear of drought or uncertainty or even death. As you go forth from here today, 
my prayer for you is that you will be truly blessed. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how other people may see it, that your foundation will be the faithfulness of the Lord, who is always faithful, and that your trust may be in Jesus Christ himself. Amen.